0: Hello and welcome. My name is David Farb, and I am an animal behavior specialist. And thank you so much for joining me for my very first podcast, Speak a Dogcast. I am so excited to share my world of dogs and animals with you. And I'm looking forward to being here as often as I can to bring you fun and exciting information on dogs, training, animal stuff, and more. You can check out our website at www.speakadogcast.com or check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Today on Speak Dogcast, we've got some great segments lined up. First will be how to make a good dog, then comes our breed of the week, followed by our Q&A session, and capping it all off today is going to be a segment called Difficult Clients, and that's definitely going to be interesting. But since this is my first podcast, I figured I would start off with some information about myself and how I got into animal training. When I was in college, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. It was my fiancé at the time, now my wife, Jen, that actually nudged me toward dog training. And I'm so grateful that she pushed me to pursue my passion. She didn't just want to push me toward a career, she wanted to push me towards something I loved. I knew I loved animals, and I knew I wanted to work for myself, so a dog training business was a natural fit. So I read some books and researched different techniques and philosophies, and that's how I started my business, after about a year or two, I was lucky enough to be introduced to another animal behavior specialist by the name of Brian Gesey. Brian is a great guy and a phenomenal trainer. And Brian and I used to go out for some beers after sessions and talk and, I mean, we'd sit there for five hours talking about behavior and dogs and training and this one time, one story that really sticks out to me is, you know, one time we're sitting there and he said, hey David, I like what you did at that session with that dog. How'd you get the result?" I said, well, you know, I yanked on the leash and gave him a treat and the dog did it. And he said, yeah, but why did that work? And I couldn't explain myself. You know, I had a great eye for uh, for training and I had a really good feel for it. But I lacked that technical understanding of, of what I was doing. And so in that moment, it became my mission to be able to explain everything I was doing. Why I give a treat when I do. Why I withhold a treatment I do. Why I maybe turn and walk the other way on leash with it. Those little minute details become very important in training a dog. And it's something that has stuck with me to this day. And it's something that I tell my clients as well. I don't want my clients to just train their dogs. I want them to know how and why. And that's very, very important. So I was lucky enough to build a successful training business in Orlando. And my wife and I lived there for just under a decade. But my wife discovered that she wasn't very fulfilled in her career and she needed a change. Now, I fully supported that change of career, but with that change brought a move for us. And about two and a half years ago, we moved from Orlando down to uh, Palm City, Florida, beautiful little town. We were lucky enough to get five acres out here in the country and it is just gorgeous with our animals and our dogs. Uh, I do have four dogs. We have, rather, we have four dogs and a cat and a horse and a few other animals that I'm sure you'll hear about along the way. But being in Palm City, I now have my new training business called The Nature of Training. And at The Nature of Training, we do in home dog training, we do doggy day camps boarding, and doggy boot camp services. Everything from puppy issues all the way through severe aggression and anxiety rehabilitation services, and anything in between. You can check out my website at thenatureoftraining.com for more information on that. But suffice it to say, I've been training animals and dogs for around 10 years or so, and I have had a great time doing it. I love being able to say every day that I do something that I love, and it truly is my passion. So I hope you got a little information about that. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast here at Speak a Dogcast. All right, our next segment today is how to make a good dog. And to make a good dog, it requires three things. The first one is to understand what a dog is and how they learn. The second is to implement training and technique, and the third is consistency. So let's start with the first one. What is a dog? That's a question I like to present to all of my clients. It's often met with a blank stare, but that's okay. A dog is a domesticated wolf, right? And we've been domesticating wolves for roughly 35,000 years, give or take a few. And being able to understand you know, what a dog is at its core can help us out with our training. So what are wolves? Well, wolves are pack migratory animals. They get up, they go for a walk in the morning, they find food, shelter, water, safety in numbers too. So it becomes a bonding experience for the pack, which is really their most basic basic instinctual fulfillment for them. So no matter how much we domesticate dogs, no matter the size, the breed, every dog has that built-in instinctual need for a walk. So it's important that we take our dogs for walks every single day. Now, being able to understand that instinctual need and tap into it allows us to mold and be able to train a dog. You know, the walk to me is sort of the basic foundation and building block. It's, it's much like dribbling a basketball. If you can't dribble a basketball, you won't be in the NBA. If you can't walk your dog, you're not going to be able to train your dog very well. So again, it's, it's important to understand that at their core what they are is a domesticated wolf. Now, the second thing is to be able to implement training and technique. So I have to actually do something, David? Well, yes, yes, you do. Um, you know, I, I often say to people, I can, get, I can train any dog anywhere, anytime. If I couldn't, you shouldn't hire me, right? But getting the client to do it, that's, that's the maybe a little more difficult part. So not only uh, teaching a client, but getting them to implement that training. So it starts with, like I said, a daily walk. That's where we start by implementing our training And we also have to get everybody in the household on board. Anybody that interacts and works with that dog, we've got to get them all on the same page and working together toward training that dog. Now, setting aside some time, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, of course, that's a good way to implement our training, going for the walks. But we also have to understand that behavior doesn't really take time off. You could be in the kitchen cooking and all of a sudden the dog starts barking at the front door and you can't go, well, I fulfilled my 10 minutes of training today, so I'm just going to ignore that. (laughs) We know what happens if you ignore that. That dog's just going to keep on barking. So it's important to understand that behavior is always happening. The dogs are always taking in information. So you have to be able to be ready to guide and direct that behavior at any time. Now, even with all the knowledge and understanding of training in the world, um, you have to have really good timing, and timing to me is sort of that technique side. Uh, You have to have really good timing in being able to work and train your dog and reinforce and redirect behaviors and so on and so forth, Uh, because again, even with all that knowledge and understanding, if your timing isn't very good, you just won't be able to train your dog very well. Now, the third thing is consistency. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? You practice, practice, practice. It is no different with training your dog. You have to be consistent. You have to be out there every single day walking your dog. Again, it doesn't matter the size, breed, anything. You have to walk your dog every day. That's where the training starts. But consistency and repetition. When I bring a dog uh, with me to a boot camp, you know, all we do all day is rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. It's very important to get that consistency in conditioning the behaviors, uh, well, desired behaviors one example I often, uh, uh, an issue I often get with puppies is an owner will say to me, you know, we're still having issues with housebreaking. And so I like to start just asking a few questions to get some info on what they're doing. And I'll say, okay, well, are you taking treats outside with you every time with the dog and rewarding them every single time they go? Well, sometimes I forget the treats. And okay. Um, are you, Leashing the dog up every time and trying to guide and direct their behavior to try to get them to go to the bathroom when they're outside. Well, sometimes I'm lazy and I just open the door and let them go. And so what I'm hearing is the owner is putting in 50% effort and getting back 50% results. There's no surprise there. There's that lack of consistency. So consistency is very, very important when it comes to training. So we have to remember we have those three things. What is a dog? Well, a dog is a domesticated wolf and we have to understand that instinct, be able to tap into it. Of course, the second thing is implementing our training and technique. We have to go for daily walks. Yes, every single day for a walk. And not only do we have to have a comprehensive understanding of our training, but we have to have good timing to be able to put it into play. And then of course, the third thing, consistency, rinse and repeat, repetition. Have to have that consistency there to be able to create a good dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. You can find more information by checking out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. We're located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pets. Time for our next segment, Breed of the Week. Now, Breed of the Week is a segment we're going to be doing regularly, where we'll feature one specific breed, talk a little bit about their history, and maybe some fun facts. Now, today, we're going to start with my favorite breed, the Golden Retriever. I might be a little bit biased. I do have two Goldens of my own. I have a female English Standard Cream-Colored Golden named Violet. And a male American standard, uh, you know, red orange colored, named Colby Jack. Now, the golden retriever—they are medium to large-sized gun dogs, originally bred to retrieve waterfowl, ducks, and upland game. Of course, we all know they have a great love of water that's bred into them, but they do shed copiously, which I can attest to. As at any given time, we've got golden retriever tumbleweeds around the house. <laughs> They were originally bred in Scotland in the mid-19th century. They have grown in popularity around the world, though, especially in the United States, where they are the third most popular breed. Not only are Goldens utilized as a retriever dog, but they're also utilized as service dogs, guide dogs, search and rescue, and so much more. They are very highly trainable, but of course need a lot of exercise and stimulation. Now, the breed came about as there was a need among the wealthy Scottish elite for a dog that could retrieve on both land and water. There are different theories arising as to how the breed came uh, came about, one being that golden retrievers are related to the now-extinct Russian tracker dog, but we're going to talk more about the estate of Dudley Marjorie Banks, first baron of Tweedmouth in Glenafric, Scotland, instead. Now, he is who is associated with the most uh, commonly accepted um, theory on where the golden retrievers came from. Now, Dudley Marjorie Banks, he supposedly crossed a yellow-colored retriever named Noose with a now-extinct tweed water spaniel female named Belle. In 1868, this cross produced a litter of four pups, and supposedly all modern golden retrievers are direct descendants of Noose and Belle. There are, of course, other theories that say the Golden Retrievers have been around longer than 1868. Um, you know, someone did find, if you can, you can even look into this, that there were, someone found pictures, uh, paintings, that supposedly depicted Golden Retrievers from the early 1800s, obviously well before Dudley Marjorie Banks was involved. However a painting could easily be mistaken for another breed. There was a lot of crossbreeding going on at this time. Uh, One breed was a Newfoundland and a setter. Newfoundland and a setter could easily be mistaken for a golden retriever in a painting. But at the same time, the the painting could depict maybe an earlier, uh, earlier cross of a golden retriever. Maybe there was earlier lines that helped create the golden retriever. But again, the most accepted theory today is that Dudley Marjorie Banks was the one who bred noose and bell, and all modern golden retrievers are direct descendants. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Don't forget to click that subscribe button and check out our website, www.speakadogcast.com. In these crazy times we are living in right now, there is only one thing for certain. You gotta eat. And if you gotta eat, you better eat good. I know when I'm cooking and eating at home, I want to use only the highest quality ingredients. So I turned to my friend Ken Ko over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. You can check them out, too, at SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Now, they have barbecue sauces, spice rubs, hot sauces, and jellies, just to name a few. They also have some of the most delectable beef jerky you will ever taste, and I am a beef jerky fanatic. And don't get me started on just how good those candy jalapenos are, but you better buy them when he has them, because he always sells out. That is how good they are. They also have the most authentic and pure olive oils, only made with the good stuff. Now, most olive oils that you get at the grocery store, they're mislabeled and misleading. They're a mixture of different oils. They're not the pure, good olive oil that Ken gets. Now, when you buy from Southern Gourmet Foods, you know you are getting a quality product from a quality guy. Ken knows what he's talking about, and he better. He's been doing it right and doing it right for over 50 years. And the best part? Southern Pride delivers nationwide. That's right, nationwide delivery. So do yourself a favor and make your way over to southernpridegourmetfoods.com. That's right, southernpridegourmetfoods.com, where everything they have is yummy for the tummy. segment of our show is going to be the common question segment. Now, hopefully this will evolve more into a listener Q&A, but for now I've prepared some of the most common questions I get from my clients and I'm going to answer them. First question, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Short answer? Yes, but it will take longer than teaching a puppy. Next question. Isn't it just his breed that acts like that? No. No, it's not. It's a learned behavior in fact don't stereotype breeds. Next question. Does my dog have feelings? You know, I like to answer this question with the question of, why don't you go ask your dog if he has feelings and get back to me? The short answer is, I can't fully respond to that because until your dog decides to tell me what his feelings are, I don't know to what level he has them. Okay, the next segment we are doing today is going to be called Difficult Clients. Yes, difficult clients. We've all had them, whether you work for yourself or you have an employer. At some point, everybody has to deal with a difficult client. Now, the advantage of when you are self-employed, when you run your own business, I get to choose at, at what point do I get to label somebody as a difficult client. And then not only that, if it really comes to it, I have the option and the choice to fire that client. It's not what I want to do. It's the last decision I want to have to make. But unfortunately, this morning, that's exactly what I did. For the second time in 10 years that I've been training animals, I had to fire a client. I, I hate saying it out loud. I, I don't really, I don't enjoy it at all. And I'm I'm, I'm really quite upset that I had to do it. I try not to let it take it, you know, take it personal, but... It's not something I ever want to do personally, professionally, so I I can't help but take a little bit of personal um, side of it because I don't want to have to do that. However, and I, I say this to anybody who owns their business and does have control, you need to know what you are worth. You need to know what your time is worth when it comes to your business, and you need to know what your product and services are worth. And if other people don't see that same value that you see in yourself and your business, then they are not worth your time. No client. No client. There's no client out there. If they don't see the value in my services, they are not worth my time. It's that simple. And to me, that's not arrogant. To me, that's very healthy. Because what's unhealthy is staying with a client who makes your life a living hell who doesn't listen, who doesn't change, who doesn't utilize your services and see worth in your services. What's the point? So to me, it's very unhealthy um, to keep clients that are toxic. And again, there is nothing wrong with firing a client that needs to be fired. So I'm gonna tell you a little story about um, how this client this morning, how, how we came to the decision to fire. I'm gonna to try to tell this story as short as I can. <laughs> However, there are a lot of factors that go into me making a decision to have to fire a client. I mean, it, it took a lot of, of whew, frustration um, and battling to get to this point. It started about two months ago. This client has a dog, and again, I won't say any names or breed or anything like that, so you have no clue who I'm talking about, but this client has a dog who's very reactive toward other dogs on leash, Not only that, it will get aggressive with other dogs. It will attack other dogs if it gets close enough. It's also very reactive in the house, barking incessantly at anything it hears outside, sees outside, someone walking past the front of the house, pool guy comes along, so on and so forth. And the family cannot control it at all. Now, when I walk in for a consultation, I'm usually told just about that amount of information, very surface-level stuff. And then within five minutes, maybe (laughs) ten... Of, of being inside their home, I can tell you exactly what's going on and, and why, for the most part, why it is the way it is. Sometimes I can't read a dog's brain, right? Uh, so I'm not necessarily going to know every detail, but I can at least tell people why this dog is acting the way it does and what's happening behind it, right? So it was pretty obvious that within five minutes of being there, this dog has no structure, no rules, no boundaries in its life. Zero. And they also told me another story about how they had boarded the dog about a year or two prior, they had boarded the dog with somebody, a, a, a breeder, and they're the dog's breeder. They thought they could trust the breeder. The breeder said, of course, you can board the dog with me. I board dogs all the time. Why wouldn't you think you could trust the breeder that your dog came from? I agree with them. However, unfortunately, when they got the dog back a month later, the dog was about 20 pounds heavier. Its fur had been completely matted. It had not been bathed. It was not taken care of, and he was very, very reactive. That's is when all this started getting a lot worse. They could let him play with other dogs before they took him to the boarding facility after they did well breeder, whatever you want to call it. uh, After they took him there, he could not get along with other dogs anymore. And it was becoming a big issue and it got a lot worse. So I explained that this is, you know, partially their fault. There's been no rules, no boundaries, no regulations, even before the dog went to, um, went went to be boarded. And of course that doesn't help. Then, that a traumatizing experience happens and the dog was, well, traumatized, right? So this dog had a very traumatizing experience and with that, this isn't really so much a dog training situation. This isn't a sit, stay, drop it, leave it, teach a dog to walk on a leash. This is a mental rehabilitation situation. And when I do have a dog that needs mental rehabilitation, I recommend my boot camp services. It's sort of like a human being that's been traumatized. They, they need a reset button. And for a dog, being able to remove them from the environment that they've patterned all this bad or, excuse me, undesired behaviors, how I prefer to say it, uh, pattern all these undesired behaviors, they need to be plucked from that environment, put into an environment with a stable pack of dogs, and worked through their issues, right? And that's why the boot camp really allows, that's what it allows me to do. And in doing so, we can lay a nice solid foundation of a new line of behavior, a new pattern, something that's been con- uh, a different way for that dog to be. And it makes it a lot easier when I hand that leash back. If we do in-home training and no boot camp for a dog like that, you know, here's the way I see it. It's sort of like building a house, especially when you have a traumatized dog. With a traumatized dog, the house has been built, but maybe not very well. I'm not using good materials. It's got patches all over it. I can't really fix up the house. I need to tear down and rebuild it. And when a dog has been traumatized, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to tear down the house and rebuild it. If we do in-home training, we've got to tear down that house together, lay the foundation together, rebuild it together, then teach you how to maintain together. A boot camp allows me to tear down that house, lay that foundation, and bare minimum starting to get that house built. Depends on the dog. Every dog's a little different. Sometimes we get that house beautifully built. Depends on the, the level of... of uh, uh, anxiety they have and everything that goes with it. So point is, I don't recommend the boot camp because I'm upselling. I'm recommending it because not only behaviorally with the dog, that's what I see succeeding. Then there's the side of the humans. I have to look at the humans in the family. Does this family look like they're going to be committed to training their dog every day? This isn't, again, this isn't a sit state. This is a rehabilitation, mental rehabilitation situation. And I try to make that very clear to my clients. Are you prepared to change everything you do with your dog on a daily basis for weeks to be able to make a change in this dog's life? And I hate to say it, but for about 95% of people out there, the answer is no. You have jobs. (laughs) You're going to be gone eight hours out of the day. Kids have school. Now we're getting back into school, right? Kids have activities. Kids are lazy. No. Most people don't have what it takes to truly make that initial change, that initial uh, flip of the switch, right? And so I don't just make my recommendation for a boot camp based on an animal's behavior, but also on the human's behavior and what's going to get them the best results, what's going to change that dog's life the fastest, what's going to get us the best success. They elected to not do the boot camp. They wanted to do in-home training, and they wanted to do doggy day camps, which is great. Doggy day camps are a wonderful supplement. The dog definitely needed some work with socialization, so I was all about it. Sure, let's do it. Okay. Well, we did two, boot, uh, excuse me, two doggy day camps, and I couldn't get them to schedule their in-home training, and I knew what that meant. They're hoping the doggy day camps will just magically fix the dog, right? Get a boot camp for the price of a doggy day camp. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Me taking your dog for six hours once a week <laughs> is not going to make a change that dramatically in your dog's behavior. Now, yeah, he he definitely changed a little bit and his behavior got a lot better, especially when I was handling him a lot better in six doggy day camps, but it's not gonna make the change at home for them. So after two sessions, I said, Guys, we gotta get some training going. You said you were gonna do in-home? let's get on the train. Okay, reluctantly, (laughs) they sign up for in-home training. All right, so we have our first in-home training session. Now, normally, I want the whole family to be there so we can get everybody on the same page. I get 50% of the family on our first day. I get the mom and teenage daughter, teenage son, and husband are nowhere to be seen. (sighs) Normally, my in-home sessions are one hour long. The first in-home session, we usually spend the first 20 minutes on, on the information, and then the last 40 on implementation walk, actually putting it in uh, walks and actually putting it into play, right? Starting to learn how to actually train our dog. I was there with these people for two hours, and we only spent 20 minutes on actually working with the dog. The other hour and 40 minutes was me battling them to try to get my information across to them because they wouldn't let me talk. They were constantly trying to tell me and give me scenarios of why it wouldn't work or how to fix this or how to fix that instead of just taking the baby steps necessary to be able to train your dog. Look, I tell all my clients if you can't train your dog on two feet of leash, how in the world do you expect to recall, get a recall off the door if they're barking their head off? Get them to come to you from no leash, 50 feet away. It's not going to happen. So unless you're willing to buckle down and do the baby steps to get that two feet of leash, forget it. You're not going to train your dog. But these people were very adamant that they wanted every solution, every answer, everything right then and there. So we didn't get anywhere, really, at the first session. Then unfortunately, a couple days after the first session, they had a family emergency, a death in the family. So through the training aside, wife pretty much tells me training is now not important, which I understand. It's a death in the family, absolutely. Absolutely but they want to keep doing the doggy day camps right now. So I said, not a problem. Absolutely. I completely understand. I'm thrilled to hear they want to do the doggy day camps because obviously they're going to be a little preoccupied and their dog is not going to get walked every day. I know, you know, things happen. It's all good. Um, but at least they were trying in that instance to do what was necessary. Now, I think I did three or four weeks of doggy day camps after the death in the family. And after two of them, after two weeks, I said, Hey, you know, I'm, um, Hope you guys are doing well, of course. You know, I saw them every time I picked up the dog and dropped them off for briefly. And in those times, I was trying to give them advice and little tips and training to try to work with the dog better. So when I come to the door, it's not barking, trying, right? They didn't take any of that information in all the times I saw them. Finally got them to set up their next training session. Second training session, I now have three out of four family members. We're at 75%. I have the wife and the two teenage children, boy and a girl. Boy takes a good 10 minutes to get his shoes on. Mom is not even expecting me, even though I'm only five minutes early. So she's not ready. Up, 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 up. Chaos, chaos, chaos. We don't really get started about till 10 minutes uh, after we're supposed to be. Now, I'm just going to put this second session in a nutshell because chaos is really the only word to describe it. I don't know that I've ever quite had a second session like that. It evolved very rapidly. Into, well, a lot of what the first session was, me not being able to get a word in edgewise, and them fighting amongst each other. Right out there, right in front of their house, in the middle of the street, we're trying to do some training. And these, the mom and the two kids are right at each other right in front of me. And look, I I see this a lot where families have to, but not quite like this and the mom is blaming them because she didn't want the dog and she's had to spend money on the dog and how dare i have to lift a finger for the dog and bop, 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 bop. meanwhile mom spends the most time with the dog and does everything wrong and interacts with him the wrong way and talks about how cute he is and how much she loves him and... <laughs> so it's just it's chaos guys it's chaos and i had to just stop it and i said guys enough I said, we actually have a much larger problem here than your dog reacting at people and other dogs. You know what that problem is? You don't even know if you want this dog and you've had him for two and a half years. You as a family, and the mom interrupts me again, I don't want this. I said, I've heard you five times. I know you don't want the dog. Okay? (laughs) My patience is only so large, everyone so long, whatever you want to call it. Oh my goodness. So I had to, we had to have a little come to Jesus talk. And I had to say, look guys, you know what you as a family, and this is not, this is not my place. It is not my job to tell you whether or not you should have a dog. I can tell you what goes into having a dog, what you should be doing. And if you can't do those things, then yeah, maybe you should think about Naha, but I'm not going to tell you whether you should or you shouldn't. That's a conversation for your family. And that's exactly what I told them. I said, I think you guys need to think about the future here because this isn't fair to your dog. And it clearly isn't fair to, you e- to each other. Listen to you. And that's when all their heads kind of, you know, chins go down to the chest and kind of like a little dog tucking its tail and tucking its head, right? They know they've been bad. And <sighs> And I said, now, if you guys would like to start over again and actually commit to this training and stop saying he said, she said and pointing fingers and throwing each other under the bus and I said, then we can maybe think about training your dog. Meanwhile, by the way, the dog is phenomenal for me. This whole time, the dog's been great. I can literally drop the leash and walk 40 feet away from him and he won't move. Things going by that he would normally react to. He's not reacting. The dog has the potential to be phenomenal. He really does. He has the potential to be an awesome dog. And it's amazing how quickly you can make changes with your dog. When you're committed. When you're living in the moment. There's another thing. These people were constant. It was a constant, well, what if he does this? And what if he does that? Well, he doesn't listen when he does that. It doesn't do this. And it's not going to work because he does that. They're literally telling me why my training and technique isn't going to work without even trying it. Chinese philosopher by the name of Lao Tzu. He says to live in the future is to be anxious. To live in the past is to be depressed. To live in the present is to know peace. That is the essence of a dog. They don't think about what's happening 10 minutes or even 10 seconds from now. They are not thinking about what happened 10 minutes ago. They don't dwell on the past. They are constantly living in the present. And my clients that go for a walk, this woman is one of them. You know what she's thinking the whole time she has that leash in there? Oh my God, what if someone comes around the corner? My dog, what if, 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 what if. I can relate to that way of thinking. I was brought up in a household where we were constantly taught, what if, what if. Unfortunately, my family has a lot of history where a lot of what ifs did happen to them. Um, my dad lost his two best friends at He was 15 years old. They were 15 and 16. He was supposed to be in the car. They got in a wreck in. What if? I don't disagree that we shouldn't be prepared for things that could happen. But as I've pointed out to my parents, if 85% of the time those what ifs don't happen, and I'm spending all of that time and that energy and that brain power on that 85% that's never going to happen, then I'm missing what's going on right in front of me. And I think you do yourself a huge disservice when you live life like that. We can learn a lot from animals and dogs about living in the moment. This family does anything but that. And their dog is a direct reflection of it. Now my job is to help people and help dogs, but at the end of the day, if you don't want to help yourself, then nobody can help you. I don't mean to be all bum and glum and negative or anything like that, but I think it's really important, really important that, you know, especially just even for yourself, if your dog has some behavioral issues, maybe take take a step back and go, ooh, am I causing some of this? Because whether you may not want to hear it, you might be. We're all human at the end of the day, but to me, the part of being human that we all forget is to try to better ourselves try to be this much better tomorrow than you were today right just this little inch it's the same thing with our dogs that's how i measure my training hey if i got an inch of success today pooh we're going in the right direction heck yeah we're doing all right if i go a step backwards i'm not too concerned until i see that as a pattern (laughs) but if i make an inch of progress i'm feeling good These people couldn't even recognize progress right in front of their face. And it's because they don't live in the moment. Really, I think that's an important lesson for you today. Everybody can take from that is, you know, especially with everything going on in the world that we have happening. Oh, geez. What does the news constantly want you to do? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Oh my God, you should worry, you should worry. And take a deep breath and appreciate that. You know what? Right now, right now it's okay. If you're sitting here listening to my podcast, then I can probably say without a doubt that, hey, right now, life's okay for you. And that's pretty cool. And I think it's really important to kind of take in those moments and appreciate them. Um, so, you know, I don't want to end on a negative note. I want to end on a positive note. So take that with you today. Live in the moment. Be better than you were yesterday. If you can do that, so can your dog. So make today a good day. Make tomorrow an even better day. I hope you got something out of that, and um, and again, to me, you know, with your with a client, if you work for yourself, know your worth, know what your time is worth, and that's that's a healthy thing. Knowing what your time, your val, your product, knowing your value, and that's really important. And I think that's something everybody should take with them. <laughs> Well, that'll wrap things up for Speak a Dogcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and make sure you click that subscribe button. If you have any questions for the Q&A section, you can email us at questions at speakadogcast.com. That's questions at speakadogcast.com. In the meantime, have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out and walk your dog.